Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. As you can probably see behind me, John chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 29 and be working our way through uh, verse 34. And uh, we're returning back to the ministry of John the Baptist and to kind of get our minds going with the text and prepare for the text. Um, I'd like to begin with a question, and I am actually wanting responses. If, if you had to describe Jesus to someone... How would you do it? What would you say about him? Perfect. I think that's what I heard. Truth. Savior. Love. Redeemer. Is that what I heard? Hope. Eternal. Returning. Yeah. I heard something, but it glory. What? Teacher? Yeah. Should we do we all have to say something or just <laughs> in our text this morning, John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus. He is giving directions not only for his audience, but for us today on how we need to understand Jesus and who he is and everything we said about him is, is true, is what the Word of God says, but uh, in pointing others to Jesus, <clears throat> giving them directions to understand who he is, our passage is going to allow us to learn how we can do that in the important parts of Jesus that we need to make sure we understand and that other people understand so they can, in fact, meet Jesus like we have. Um, I think it's humorous that in our nation, you kind of know where you are or what type of area you're in based upon directions that people give. Um, last year, before COVID shut everything down, I went up to Kansas City and I was asking directions to a grocery store. And, and you probably heard directions from the cities. Well, you want to get back on the interstate? You'll go down to mile marker 66. You get off there. You'll take a right at the light and then you'll go through five lights and it should be on your left. Now in Stratford, we don't do that. I don't think we have five lights to do in Stratford, but, but I gave instructions yesterday or directions yesterday. Someone asked me when I was at a gas station putting air in our tire and they asked uh, how to get to a certain place. And I think in Stratford, we give directions based upon either railroad tracks or the interstate. You got to go over one or the other to get somewhere. And this particular one is, well, you want to go over the interstate, you hit a light, you want to turn right, there and go on the outer road and you'll find what you're looking for. And, and we kind of do that here at Stratford. Uh, but there are some people in Stratford that uh, were here when Stratford was a little country town. And uh, I, I wouldn't consider Stratford a country town. But if you're in the country and you ask for directions from someone else, you better know the names of the landmarks in that area. And so you can ask for directions and they'll say, well, you want to go down this road till you get to Wilson's farm and then you want to hang a left and you'll drive until you see Smith's barn. It's a big red one. You go a little farther past that, you hit a gravel road, you turn right, then you'll see the big oak tree that's by the abandoned tractor. Yeah, yeah. Go across the creek and you can't miss it. And, and that's kind of, it's kind of funny how people give directions and things like that. And, and we, as God's people, are called to give directions to Jesus, to point Jesus out and our text is going to help us do that. They're important. 
because they get us to where we need to be and where we're wanting to go. And, and though we may use mile markers, may use landmarks, John gave directions to Jesus that we're going to be able to apply to our, our lives today. So our passage begins in verse 29, and it's going to sound very familiar because we've looked at a, uh, the baptism of Jesus a couple weeks ago, and John here is recalling that. He's testifying about what he experienced at Jesus' baptism. But again, it's going to sound very familiar. Let's read it, and then we'll uh, walk through it together. So the next day, he, that's John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, I come before you and and just submit to you, asking you to use me for your glory and your righteousness. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning that we all would have our ears open and our eyes open to hear and see your word and how it applies to our life, that our hearts would be softened and that your word would take deep root there. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't here this morning for whatever reason, Lord, that you just... Speak to their hearts. Let them know that your presence is with them. And Father, we just ask you to place that desire for individuals to gather once again to form your church. We ask your forgiveness where we have failed you this morning if we have not been worshiping you in spirit and truth. We ask you to be our shepherd and guide us us through this passage that we might know what you want us to take from it and apply it to our lives. Yeah, I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're going to do this morning. I thank you for just the the good news we're going to hear about our Savior and your Son Jesus. Father, I pray this all in the name and all in His name. Amen. One thing's important about our passage again. It's a recollection. John is retelling of what happened at the baptism of Jesus. We see that John is no longer preparing the way for the Christ, but now he is pointing to the way who is the Christ. His message has completely changed, and John wants other people to recognize or realize who Jesus Christ is. It's what we do at Harvest Hill when we say, meet Jesus. John is wanting people to meet Jesus and understanding who He is and why He is so important and why John is nothing compared to Him. Verse 29 opens up with the very first time stamp we have in the Gospel of John when it refers to the next day. It's connecting this passage to what we looked at a couple weeks ago, beginning in verse 19 and running through 28, where the Pharisees came to ask John on his identity. And in that questioning, he was pointing to Jesus. You know, I'm not the Savior, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, but he's coming. You need to be ready for his coming. And the reason that helps us is because it lets us know when John was questioned by the Pharisees, it happened at some point in time uh, around the temptations of Christ. This particular moment has happened after the temptations of Christ, after Jesus was baptized, and he shows up uh, and coming towards John. 
It's important as we walk through the Gospel of John to know the purpose of the book. The purpose of the Gospel of John is to point to Jesus' eternal nature and His equality with God. If you go to the very beginning, you see that it was in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Gospel of John is really bringing this out throughout the book to let us understand Jesus' equality and eternal nature. And so as we come to this event, John is retelling the story of when he baptized Jesus and what he experienced in that moment and how he came to understand Jesus as the Son of God, as the Lamb of God, as the one who takes away the sins of the world. So there's four things we need to understand this morning, but there's also three things that we see with John that relate to our life. First, in verse 29, it says that John saw him. Jesus came and John saw him. His eyes were opened in that moment to see who Jesus was, and that's what we need in our own life. So we can't understand Jesus, and people can't understand Jesus, until our eyes are open to see Jesus for who He is. And how does that happen? Well, how did it happen to John? Well, God spoke to him through the Spirit. See, it's not our words, it's not our actions per se, it's the moving of the Spirit which opens the eyes of individuals to understand their need for Christ. Then John said after he saw Him, he knew Him. He knew who He was, though not fully. And that's important as well, as we have seen Jesus, and we have seen our need for Jesus, we need to continue in that salvation story of knowing Jesus more. Again, as part of our heartbeat. We meet Jesus, and then we're to mature in our relationship with God. But John says twice, in verse 31 and again in verse 33, something that seems rather odd that we'll deal with for a moment. He says, I myself did not know Him, which raises a question, because how did John not know Jesus? He was a relative of his. I, I imagine that Mary and Elizabeth would have gotten together because family life was very important. I mean, I would have, because I would want to put John and Jesus together after I know what God spoke over them, just to see if something would happen. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a cool science experiment, right? And we know, because family is important, they would have gotten together. John's statement that I did not know him isn't that he did not personally know Jesus as his relative. He, does not, he just did not know Jesus was the Messiah until this moment of his baptism. That revelation didn't come until the Holy Spirit gave it to him. And John understood that Jesus then, his relative, is the one he's been preparing the way for. Again, the Holy Spirit worked. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us and our understanding of Jesus. Once we've seen Him and we know Him, the Holy Spirit wants to use us to allow other people to see and know Jesus. This is why Jesus gives us the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is the purpose of that power? And you will be my witnesses. This is what John is doing. He has seen Jesus. He knows Jesus. And now he's witnessing for Jesus. That's our role today. In 2020, despite everything that's going on, we have seen Jesus. We know Jesus. And now we are to be a witness for Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors. That word means we are representatives of Christ, God making His appeal through us. And how does God appeal through us? By the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. God saved us to use us so that we can give directions to others to Jesus. 
We just don't do it with landmarks. We don't do it with mile markers. We do it with the Scripture to which we see here how John does it. John began witnessing in verse 29. He points something out about Jesus that we need to understand. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one thing we need to understand, in understanding Jesus, we need to understand the Old Testament. We need to know the Old Testament to know who Jesus was. We have to keep in mind, Jesus taught, did miracles to a Jewish audience, to a Jewish people. So he uses a lot of imagery from the Old Testament to give understanding to his people. So if we're going to understand the Gospels, even understand the writings of Paul, we have to go back to the Old Testament and understand what in the world does that mean in that context and why is Jesus using it. So when John speaks out, he sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. He's taking from the Old Testament. In particular, he's taking from Exodus. In Exodus, there's an event known as the Passover, which came into existence after the tenth plague came upon Egypt. God sends Moses to Egypt to release, redeem his people out of bondage, out of slavery. And he had to use ten plagues because Pharaoh was not on God's plan. The very last plague is the death of the firstborn. And in that plague, God instructed his people that they are to take a lamb without blemish, that means without defect, take it into their home for two weeks. They are to kill the lamb, eat the lamb in full, and then put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And God said that when he sees the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, he will pass over that house, hence the term the Passover. And it was by faith of the people in God's word to which they were covered by the blood of the Lamb. That word is atone. The atonement means to cover. So God was covering them with protection and passing over them. And John's audience would have been familiar with this phrase, Lamb of God, because the Passover became something known as a memorial day. It was something they had to teach their children. They talked about every single year. What is the meaning of all of this? They passed it down the line. But now John is pointing to Jesus. He says, look, the pure Lamb of God, one who is perfect, one who is sinless, one who is without defect, who has come to cover over your sins by your faith in Him. John's ministry begins with this understanding of Jesus' end goal. He came to cover over or to take away the sin of the world for anyone who would place their faith in Christ alone. It, it, it goes back to the Day of Atonement, which you can read in the wonderful books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. When God put this day up, it was so they would take two goats, and one, they would cast one goat by lot that would be the sacrifice, and the other goat, after they sacrificed the goat by lot, they would sprinkle the blood on that goat, and they would place their hands on it as a transmission of sin of the nation of Israel, and they would release it, hence the phrase scapegoat. And so when John says he is the Lamb of God, he's not only the Passover Lamb, but he is the atoning sacrifice that God is going to use as our scapegoat of sin. We are no longer going to be seen before God in our sin, but in the pure, holy righteousness of Christ. This is a huge statement that we need to understand. When we point to Jesus, it is because we understand Jesus is the only way that we can be forgiven for our sins. It is the only way we can receive salvation and is the only way that we can get into heaven. It is only through Jesus, the Lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice. 
That's our direction to Jesus. That's why he's so important. Without him, we'd be lost. We would be dead in our sin. We would be standing before God in eternal judgment. But he is the Lamb of God. When we point to Jesus in this world, that's where it has to begin. He died for us so we wouldn't have to die in our sins. That's why I believe in Jesus. That's why He's so important to me. John says He is the Lamb of God, which gives us another understanding. We need to understand that Jesus was commissioned by God. He is the Lamb of God. He came to take away the sins of the world, but He only had authority to do so because He was of God. He was God's chosen instrument to bring and reveal salvation. Which means we point to Jesus because He's the only way our sins can be removed. He's the only way other people who don't know Him can have their sins removed. It isn't by our good works. It isn't by our good deeds. It isn't even us living a good life. It is only in Jesus who was the Son of God and who was God. Now I know John is making these huge statements, but the beauty of Scripture allows us to know that John struggled with what he declared about Jesus in this moment. As Jesus would begin his ministry, John would send messengers when he was in prison asking, are you truly the one? Are you truly the Messiah? Are you truly the chosen? Which allows us to know that even though we may wrestle with our faith, we may wrestle with our understanding of Jesus, we're actually in pretty good company. John did it, and he's the one who made this incredible statement. But in this moment, he's pointing to the critical need for Jesus. Jesus is the only means of redemption. Jesus is the only means of salvation. Jesus is the only means of forgiveness. He is the promise of eternal life in heaven. Only Jesus. This is what Paul would, would focus on when he would write his letters. It's only Jesus. The early believers, when they began preaching and writing what we now call the Word of God, focused that it was only Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of who? Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 15.11, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord, who? Jesus. Acts 16.30, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. When Paul saw Jesus and he knew Jesus for who Jesus was, he found his life of no worth except to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And if you read through the letters of Paul, which is the majority of the New Testament, you see that his life ambition was to point people to Jesus. That's all he wanted to do, is give directions to Jesus, that they could see him and know him for who he was, because it was that important. Jesus came to take away our sins before a holy God. Without that, we are lost. We're destined for hell. We will be eternally separated from God. This is the greatest direction we can give to anybody in life, is to continue to point to Jesus. But we've got to understand who He is. John says something else that we need to understand. We need to understand Jesus' eternal nature. In verse 30, John says about Jesus that He was before me. Meaning John understood by the Holy Spirit that Jesus existed Long ago, he is the Ancient of Days, which is taken from the prophecy in the book of Daniel. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. 
The Gospel of John is quick to point out the eternal nature of Christ. We already read that in the very first two verses of the opening of the book is to point to Jesus' eternal nature. Paul understood the importance of understanding that Jesus didn't just show up one day, but He had always existed when he wrote to the believers in Colossians. He says, He is the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. For whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The eternal nature of Christ, the reason that's so important for us to understand, because when we understand that Jesus is God and He has always been, then we can understand why He has authority over our life. He is God in the flesh. He is the physical manifestation of the Creator of all things. He holds all power. He holds all authority over all things, and that includes our life. The eternal nature of Christ helps us understand the terms of salvation. See, salvation's terms are that we are now submitting to the rule of Christ. He is our Lord. That word Lord means master. He's in charge. His word is what guides us in life. His presence is what leads us. The eternal nature of Christ lets us know that God has always had us on His mind. He's always wanted to redeem us. He's always wanted to reveal that love. And now that we've understood that love for us, He wants to use us to reveal it to other people. That there is a God who sits on His throne. He is in control of all things, even in the things that seem so uncertain. And He's the one who loves you. And He proved that love through Jesus Christ, who was Himself in the flesh. John says one more thing about Jesus we have to understand. In verse 34, he says, I have seen and I have borne witness. That word witness means testified. That this is the Son of God. Some translations read it that this is the chosen one. What that phrase means, what we need to understand about Jesus, we need to understand Jesus' equality with God. You know, I would say that Ethan is my son. Most of us understand that in the terms that, that I'm his father. He belongs to me. I am responsible for his well-being. He, uh, he came from me. The Bible uses Jesus as the Son of God in the same way, but it holds more implications than just that. And referring to Jesus as the Son of God, it means Jesus is God. He is of the same nature. He stands equal with God over all things. He is God's chosen one. Now, if we put ourselves on the banks of the Jordan River and John is making these statements about Jesus, whom he has seen and who is now at the river with him, he is pointing to Jesus. He is testifying that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One who has the full authority of God resting on Him and in Him. That's a huge statement. But that's the one thing people in Jesus' own life were going to struggle the most about. His authority. How do you have the authority to do the things you do? That's the same thing people struggle about Jesus today. His authority. And Jesus has authority because He is God 100%. The Gospel of John in verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
The good news for us that we can reveal to people is because of Jesus and His eternal nature and His authority and who He is, it reveals to us that God loved us long before we knew we needed love by God. It reveals to us that it is not us who pursues after God, but before time began, God had already been pursuing after you. He loves us that much. He is for us that much, and He wants other people to know that He is pursuing after them. He sent Jesus to prove that love by dying on the cross and taking the full wrath of God that we deserve for our sin, and then rising again that death may have no more power over us. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice because He was commissioned by God to be so. He existed with God from the beginning, and He is fully God. So when we point to Jesus, we do it through our actions, but we do it through our words. This is who Jesus is. This is why Jesus is so important. This is why people need to see and know Jesus. And they can only see and know when we are being witnesses of what we've already come to see and know. How do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? Through Jesus. That's that's the direction. It's only through Jesus. He died for our sins and rose again. And by faith in Him alone, He takes away our sins and covers us with His holy righteousness. How is Jesus able to do this? How is Jesus able to do this? Who was He? Come on, we just... Ah, He's God! Very good! That's how Jesus is able to do this. God became flesh and dwelt among us because He had the full authority of God upon Him. He was able to do what we cannot do even in our best day. Because He was God, God punished Himself for our sin. And so we point to Jesus because of His full authority and He reveals God's love, grace, and mercy towards us. He was fully God and fully man. And Paul wrote that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Greatest directions we can do is point to Jesus. And when people ask, why do you believe in that? Because He was God in the flesh from eternity who died for our sins and rose again. And He has full authority over my life and over all things, even those who don't believe Him. Because He's Jesus. Now as Jesus was commissioned by God with the full authority, here's how this applies to our life. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, that comes from what we understand about who Jesus is and how John pointed to Him. All authority has been given to him. And he says what? Go, therefore, and the authority that I have, I am authorizing you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And that word commanded means all that I have taught you. And behold, I am with you always to the end, under, to the end of the age. So Jesus, commissioned by God, full authority of God, and in His authority, He now what? Commissions us. 
You go in my authority because my spirit is in you and in my power. And you go make disciples. You go baptize them. You point them to me. That's our calling. That's our calling as a church. That's a calling as believers is to continue to point to Jesus. Because we've seen him and we know him. And now we witness for him. And I don't know where everyone is this morning, but you might be here and you finally have seen Jesus for who He is. Yet you have yet to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. See, just being in church doesn't mean you're saved. You have to put your faith in Christ alone. This is by the grace of God. What is God's grace? God's grace is the understanding that God is God. I'm not. He is over all things. And everyone will answer to Him one day because He's God. We are naturally rebellious. We rebel against God's love. We rebel against God's grace. We rebel against who God is and what He wants in our life. That's what the Bible defines as sin. But God knows this and He sent His Son Jesus to be that atoning sacrifice. To cover over our sins so we are no longer seen in them before a holy God. And the Bible says, when I see this and I understand this, I must confess it with my mouth. Confession is a public display of affection. <laughs> I confess Jesus is Lord. He is Savior. He died. He rose again. And I need Him for forgiveness. And when I do this, the Bible's promise is that I will be given eternal life. If you're here this morning and if you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I see Jesus for who He is. Maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father because I know, like me, sometimes I forget who Jesus is. You know, He's, he's, the, he's the Sunday school answer. Jesus is the full authority of God over my life. And He loves me. He's for me. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us in a song. I want to pray over you, and then I'm going to invite you to respond. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to save us. Lord, thank you that you went all in for us to bring us back to you. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray in this moment that your spirit would grab a hold of their heart and they know they can't stay where they are, but they have to come down the aisle and confess you as Lord and Savior. Father, forgive us as a people when we forget why we're here. And we need to point people to you. But I thank you for the work you're doing here at Harvest Hill. I thank you for the work you're allowing us to be a part of. I thank you for the work you're preparing us for, even in these uncertain times. Forgive us if we failed you, if we opened your word and walked through it. If we allowed our minds or hearts to go somewhere else. But I thank you for this day, and I thank you for what your Spirit's going to continue to do through your word. And praise on the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who sits on his throne. Amen.